We're in First Corinthians, but I wanted Merrill Unger used to come with his wife. But when I was reading again, imagine all of this, the dictionary and all these other books that he's written. And in the back, it tells all that he authored. He authored Guide to the Old Testament and Archaeology in the Old Testament, Biblical Demonology, the Baptizing Work of the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on, book after book. He was a native of Baltimore, received his B.A. degree, A.B. degree at Johns Hopkins, earned his theological degrees, T.H.M. and T.H.D. at Dallas Seminary, and Ph.D. degree in Semitics and Biblical Archaeology at Johns Hopkins. He also attended the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and graduated from the Missionary Training Institute, Nyack, New York. He held pastorates at different places and retired as professor of Old Testament studies at Dallas Seminary. This picture of him when he was young, when he came here, he was old, but he passed away then, oh, probably 20 years ago now. But this book is so interesting, and we're studying about the city of Corinth, but I wanted to just read a little bit about it. It was a prominent Greek city evangelized by Paul. Um, as Greece's most splendid commercial city, Corinth was located just south of the narrow isthmus connecting central Greece with Turkey and all the other Peloponnesus, uh, Asia Minor. Its strategic situation made it the mecca of trade between east and west. Its eastern port was Centria in Romans 16, and its western emporium, Lacerium. The city derived rich income from the transport of cargoes across the narrow isthmus, a distance less than five miles. Not until A.D. 1881 was the present canal dug, saving a perilous 200-mile trip around the stormy Cape Malia. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and Nero, who turned the first spade of dirt with a golden shovel, realized the practicality of such a waterway. But all ancient attempts came to naught and were abandoned. The modern engineering feat is four miles in length, spanned by the 170-foot high bridge. And I think that this modern Corinth in this book of Dr. Unger has a picture of this bridge constructed in our day. And it talks about how old this place is and all. And so that's Corinth that we're studying. But we're in this wonderful 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And it is a resurrection chapter. I can remember when I, I, I don't know, I didn't know anything. I probably was 13 or 12. And mother had cleaning ladies come. And one cleaning lady was German. Her name was Delia Scudder. And I was in there, as I recall, teaching her this chapter. And I must have been about 11, 12, or 13. <laughs> But it is such a wonderful chapter about the resurrection. So that's where we are today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. Well, what is the gospel? Well, he's going to tell. The definition of the gospel is verses 3 and 4. By which also you're saved, this gospel, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain or decided it wasn't true. That's what in vain means. 
I told you the truth, and you maybe decided it wasn't true. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that'd be Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So here's the gospel in verses 3 and 4, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, like Isaiah, that who he was wounded for our transgressions and so forth. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by many people, by Peter, then by the 12 apostles. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have died or fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, that'd be the half-brother of Jesus, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, Paul said, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, Paul says, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, as he's writing to these Corinthians, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you in Corinth say that there's no resurrection of the dead? See, they had a lot of false things going on, false gospels being perpetrated in Corinth, and this was one of them. There's no resurrection of the dead. But Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he didn't raise if, in fact, the dead don't rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died believing in Jesus have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable or miserable in the old King James. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. And so he said, but now Christ is risen. He's risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, who was that? Adam. By man came death. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, back to Genesis, even so in Christ. That's it. You're, if you're a believer, you are in union with Christ or in Christ. So everybody in this world is either in Christ or out of Christ. So when you believe, you're in union with Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Now this is the order. Christ was the first to rise from the dead. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. So when he comes back, 
That will be the rapture when we're caught up to be with him. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And I like the note in the Ryrie Study Bible where he says, the order of resurrections is as follows. First, Christ's, then that of believers at his coming. First Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds with them to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's the order. And finally, the resurrection at the end of the millennial kingdom. So when we're caught up, then Christ will have his thousand-year kingdom on earth. He will rule this earth for a thousand years, and it'll be a wonderful time, the millennial kingdom. At the end of that time, then, will be the final resurrection, for he has put all things under Jesus' feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself, Jesus, will also be subject to God, the Father, who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, now this comes to one of the most difficult verses in the Bible, as Dr. Ryrie says, too, and there are lots of ways of interpreting it, but I think he has the correct way, and we'll give that to you. Otherwise, what are they do who are baptized for the dead? See, now there are a lot of false cults that say you have somebody baptized for somebody that died before, and maybe the person isn't a believer, and so they get they baptized for the dead. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead don't rise at all? Why, then, are they baptized for the dead? Now, here this note is very good. Various interpretations, Dr. Ryrie said, have been given for this difficult expression One is that it sanctions being baptized vicariously for another in order to assure him a place in heaven, a view that's heretical. Two, it refers to those who were baptized because of the testimony of those who had died. And three, most likely it means being baptized in the place of those who had died, new converts. In other words, new converts taking the place of older ones who had died. Paul's point is, unless one believes in the resurrection of the dead rather than the Greek idea of immortality, what's the point of such a practice? So that's what Dr. Ryrie says, and I think that's a pretty good uh, definition of the baptized for the dead, if the dead don't rise at all. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting and you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, Paul said. If in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. You know, he's probably thrown to the lions. What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's from Isaiah 32, 13. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Like when you plant corn, it dies in the ground, and then out of that 
comes a new corn stock. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. That does away with evolution, doesn't it? That we descended from fish and other kind of creatures. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. And we've talked about the gospel in the stars, that God, when he made the stars, he put them in constellations. He named all the stars. And uh, in the star pictures, the gospel he's presented. So that the whole gospel that's now written before it was ever written down, it was in the heavens. So that people are without excuse and always have been. God named the stars. People all knew the names of them. And it was how to be saved and what God was going to do in the world. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual, the last Adam, is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, Adam, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also, we believers, bear the image of the heavenly man. And Paul says in Romans 8, that we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now most of you know, you need to memorize these two verses, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, not all of us will die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. We read earlier, how do we know what sin is? Except by the law, the commandments. But thanks be to God, 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Not worthless. He gives rewards, doesn't he? And in 1 Corinthians 3, we saw what these rewards are. Let's turn back again because you might want to see if you're doing this. Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, for no other foundation on the, on the Christian life can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds after you're a believer, you're going to build your Christian life. If anyone builds on this foundation, here are the building materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Which ones do you want to have your life built on? Well, each one's work, not your salvation, because you're saved by faith in Jesus. But after salvation, there are rewards for activity or production in the Christian life. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, the Second Corinthians 5, the judgment seat of Christ, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work, not your salvation, but your production of what sort it is. Is it gold work or silver or wood work or how is it? What is it? Each one's work, fire will test of what sort it is. If anyone's work, production in the Christian life, which he is built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So back to where we were. To the 16th chapter. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, what day would that be? Sunday. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I'm passing through Macedonia. But it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, which would be in June. For a great and effective door has opened to me, Paul says, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such 
and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge each such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, the salutation with my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So next week we will do 2 Corinthians. So Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word. Just even though we've gone over it before, bless it to our hearts because it is the, the written word of God. And so we thank you for it. For everything in here is what we need to know from you to live by it. These are our marching orders in this book. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Be with each one here today and bless our lives and our families. In Jesus' name, amen.